0: You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet.
1: I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Hey,
0: everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Bible for Normal People. This is, Jared, our first joint episode of 2020.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm excited about all the things we can pontificate about today here. But our topic for tonight, Yeah, what today, is our
0: topic for today, tonight, forever? This morning, wherever this enti- you are. The entire year. Yeah, that's right, know. is
1: how to read the Bible in 2020. and we Why, mean,
0: Jared? What's so special about 2020?
1: Well, it's just ripe for a lot of vision puns. So, we have <laughs> the insight of 2020, and you know. uh, who knows what we're going to hear this yeah. year. But, I mean, we have the election, and it's also just a time to reflect on wh- what are we doing? What do we do with the Bible? How does it fit into our, our lives? And, and I think that's a good question. Yeah, and what does it mean
0: to engage it responsibly, right? And, and, and um, respecting the text. Yeah, respectfully and responsibly. You know, and how, which is not an easy question to answer. And it's easier – it's real easy to find examples that are probably not very helpful for doing that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, that's across the spectrum. People over the place, in our opinion, are just – you know, sometimes the Bible gets dragged into all sorts of stuff. It just – it can't possibly be dragged into. Right, right.
1: Well, it can, and it, it can, has and been.
0: can, and it has been, yeah. Uh-huh.
2: Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost with 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good.
0: So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code NORMALPEOPLE. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code NORMALPEOPLE for 30% off and free shipping. microdose.com, promo code NORMALPEOPLE.
1: So I mean let's talk some let's spend some time talking about the election and how like politics and the Bible and how we use it you know we had Pete Weiner on last season mm-hmm. and that started wheels turning about how do we utilize the Bible and maybe what are some examples of that you've seen of how people are using it currently and then we can talk about whether those are good or bad or what's problematic or what's helpful about that but what are some ways maybe right or left conservative or liberal for how people you've seen kind of in the public space or online use the Bible? Yeah, I mean, we're,
0: we're trying to be descriptive here, right? And, right. and yeah, just just describe like, this describe is what we're right? And I think hopefully, you know, objective too. But, uh, but, you know, the thing, this has been going on for a few years now where uh, uh, Donald Trump has been compared to Cyrus – who was an ancient Persian king, and and not to bore you guys with too many details here, but I think you have to sort of know the context context. of it. Let's get some context. Uh, Cyrus was a Persian king, and it was his order to allow the captives in Babylon to return back home, and this is in the 6th century. The Babylonians destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and took uh, the people captive and razed the city to the ground and uh, these people from Jerusalem in the land of Judah, they were exiled to Babylon. But then the Persians took over the world in 539, and the Persians had a different political philosophy than than the Babylonians did. They, they allow the people to go back home and to rebuild things, just, you know, remember who's the boss. And this is sort of compared to Donald Trump, because, you know, one of the accusations that people have made about him which is largely true but the accusations and, and people strong supporters of Donald Trump will, will admit this too is that you know he's he's got some very uh, documented moral failings and he's you know a kind of person that you would expect evangelical Christians for example not to want to support and people find it somewhat curious that he has such a strong evangelical base and one line of argument is sort of like, bring those two ideas together? You know, I mean, the idea of, of Donald Trump is doing things as president that many evangelicals like, but he's not the kind of person that evangelicals would normally support. How do you bring those two things together? Well, one of the arguments that popped up a few years ago was comparing Donald Trump to Cyrus, and Cyrus was a pagan king that God used. You know, he's a, he's a chosen by God to deliver the Israelites from captivity. You see this in Isaiah and a few other passages uh, in the Bible, Jeremiah also. And, uh, you know, that he's been jumped on as sort of like, this is, this is our model. This is what Donald Trump is. Yeah, we wouldn't want him to be our pastor. You know, we wouldn't expect that from him, but we're not electing a pastor. We're electing, you know, Someone to help us in our trouble, and so just like Cyrus was a pagan king, and then Donald Trump is also sort of our pagan <laughs> uh, president who um, God will use to further god 's own ends, and there are just a lot of i think very glaring problems with making that kind of an analogy
1: right well, I just wanted to give um, just a little current context for that, so um you know Mike Evans who's an evangelical leader, really kind of started this trend because he was on CBN, which is the Christian Broadcasting Network, Mm -hmm. in 2017 and used this idea that Cyrus was an instrument of God for deliverance. And so, we hope that this the language of imperfect vessel. So, this distancing of, yeah, he was a pagan, Cyrus was a pagan, but God used him to bring about God's purposes and will. And so, there was this once, not to, I think for me... Again, like you said, it's not really a left or right for me, but once it became clear that Donald Trump's not that moral of a person, there became this idea that, well, but God can still use him. Mm-hmm. And so, at first, I felt like the argument was more like, let's try to make Donald Trump to be an evangelical leader and someone who has come to faith in Christ and let's give him a chance. And then as things kind of progress, it was like, well, that argument's not going to hold water. So, how then do we think about mm-hmm. – him in relation to the Bible. And so, the Cyrus thing was really helpful and uh, allowed for that kind of rhetoric.
0: And and it, you know, got some esteem too. So, and I mean, it is an example and I want to be careful here because on, on one level, a lot of people do this and it's sort of hard to avoid, but it's like you got an idea that you're wedded to and then you drag the Bible into it to justify it. And at some point, there has to be some introspection because it's not – you know, this isn't generated from reading Isaiah chapter 45. This is generated from a, pat- a particular political ideology that's married to a religious faith where we just know God is in favor of this person. And by golly, if you give us a minute, we'll find a text to do that with. And But to do that, I mean, you have to really – you have to do something very unevangelical with the Bible, which is rip it completely out of its original context. Cyrus was a foreign king; he wasn't. T- for the analogy to fit, Cyrus would have to have been an Israelite. Yep. But here's the thing: the Israelite kings are routinely condemned in the Bible for their moral failings. Right. From David on down, right, they're condemned for their moral failings and something bad usually happens to them. Because right? of those moral failings. Bef- because of those moral failings. Now, David did stay king, but his life was a mess. Mm-hmm. He was running, you know, and, and it, he he wasn't – he wasn't the great leader he died somewhat impotent in his own bed, and Solomon took over and he was a disaster too eventually mm-hmm. but all the you know the kings of of the north and the south the you know, the, the monarchy split around nine twenty seven b c but um the those kings you know one after another with a couple of exceptions, roughly forty kings, a couple of them had their acts together pretty well, mm-hmm. but the rest of them they're 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 judged Harshly. I mean, that's – if you want an analogy, this is someone who's within our country and to use a foreign pagan king as an analogy to this, it just doesn't make any sense. It breaks down right. pretty quickly and it's right there staring you in the face, w- I think. One
1: of the things we want to make sure – like bring some comments to is this isn't a – this isn't an – it it really is a problem when we bring our own ideology to the bible regardless of the political stance we're taking mm-hmm. this is not an anti right or anti trump I mean, it is in in one sense, but it, it's going to. We want to be equal opportunity offenders here. Well, we're
0: talking about the Bible. That's really right. our focus here. and What we're seeing, the and rhetoric. how it's
1: co opted by ideologies from right. every side and right. every angle. Right. And so, is there an example you might have of where that might be co opted by the left too? Where we bring an agenda, we find it in the text, and then let's talk about is that okay? But what, let's let's talk about the mechanics of, of what's right. happening when we
0: do that. Right. Well, I, I think an example, let's say on the left, is uh demanding that America take in refugees because the Bible says so or because Jesus was a refugee which he wasn't but um you know it's it's using the Bible in that way for particular political ideology now i happen to agree that it's it's a good moral and right and just thing to help people who are in desperate need of help and are fleeing totalitarian regimes and are looking for help and America's sort of been known for that sort of thing and i think it's a good wise and 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 compassionate thing to do but you
1: wouldn't anchor that conviction in this is what the bible t- commands or tells us to do
0: well and by the us meaning an american political system no i don't think so i don't think that the government should act because the bible says something that's you know that's that's this merging together of state and religion which is, you know, not, it's not just, you know, the separation of church and state, you know, which by the way is not happening now because there's, you know, the strong influence of evangelicalism. But, but it's a good idea because when political power and religious faith, when they merge, the end result typically is not very good. And that's a story as old as the Old Testament itself when the monarchy was essentially a hot mess disaster. And, you know, they, the Israelites came back from the exile wanting to rebuild things and they got back in the land, they built the walls uh, around Jerusalem, they rebuilt the temple. They didn't have a king on the throne for hundreds of years. And when they did, this is in the second century uh, before Christ, uh, for about a hundred years, it was a very uneasy political mess of these Jewish um, rulers. And then the Romans came and took care of business. So, you know, that monarchy has never been revisited. It's – it's it's and it's it doesn't work, you know, because it's too easy to corrupt politics with a particular religious ideology. And I, the Bible just as a whole, you know, it's just – it's not in favor of that. There's stuff in the New Testament, right? Like mm-hmm. Paul <laughs> – you know, right. you know when, and, and you know well, Jesus even, is Lord, and even like, Caesar's not,
1: or not in favor. I think it also we take our eyes off the ball on what what is the Bible? What's it trying to do? Mm-hmm. And when we make it, just like we say, the Bible is not a, a science textbook, and it's mm-hmm. not a history textbook, it's not a political manifesto. Right? It, it touches on politics. It's definitely integrated. We can't say there's nothing it has to do with politics mm-hmm. because it is tied to a monarchy and these other stories that mm-hmm. happen. Uh, But to say that that is where we derive our political framework from or our ethical Mm -hmm. framework, it's trying, again, to make the Bible something that it just isn't up to the task of doing. It's not
0: designed, so to speak, to be a political handbook or – and again, this is left, center, right. It doesn't matter. And, and, you know, I – believe me, I cringe as much when I read Twitter and other places where I see Jesus being co-opted to support – political agendas that I happen to agree with. I just don't think that that's – that may motivate my actions and why I do what I do. But to to bring the Bible into that is it, really in essence what we're doing, it's not just bringing the Bible into it. You're bringing God into it and you're saying God is on our side. And I, I think all sorts of political ideologies have a, a habit of doing that. And. And you know, I'd like to see the rhetoric just leave that kind of stuff to the side, but it's powerful, and it's been, it's worked for a very, very. It's the recorded history of humanity. On some level, the wars and the problems are a mixture of, of faith or religious practice and political ambitions and. Um, I think the Bible, the message of the Bible as a whole – yeah, you can find verses if you want to, but it's not verses. The Bible as a whole has some very strong things to say about you should never, ever do that. You should never confuse these two kingdoms and say they can sort of work together toward a common political goal because that's actually bringing God down (laughs) – into our agendas and it makes
1: it really challenging even thinking of the prophetic texts of whenever we don't have an outside source that can critique the dominant system that's always a challenge so right. when you marry religion and, and politics in a way you're 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 denying that release valve you're denying that right. that prophetic or critiquing mechanism mm-hmm. that needs to be at play regardless of the system that we're in.
0: And you have, you know, like you mentioned, Jared, the prophets of the Old Testament. Some of them are sort of insiders to the court, like Isaiah is an example, mm-hmm. Jeremiah is an example. Some are outliers, like Amos, for example. But insiders or outsiders, their job was to hold the, the uh, monarchy accountable to something higher than themselves, which in the case of the Old Testament was really the law of Moses and specifically the worship of God that 's really you know is God first or not is God part of your agenda, or are you driven by being faithful to God and that sort of thing and um, you lose that like you said, you lose that prophetic voice which I think is you know we're speaking as Christians here is the Christian call that our, our job is to call into account corruption when we see it, even if we like the politics of it. And to me, that's maybe the most disconcerting thing, especially on the right, because that's getting the most press, but also on the left.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, let, I mean, I want to I want to come back out maybe and ask, so what does this mean? Because for me, I keep coming back to, maybe it's my background. What does this have to do with with ethics and how we determine right from wrong. Because I I think a lot of people that still becomes like the standard or the source, the Bible, the Bible becomes the standard or source by which we go, you know, is this right or wrong? Well, what does the Bible have to say about it? And I think I, I, you know, I have a lot of friends who would be quite progressive and that they would find their ethic, their progressive ethic through the Bible. They would say, well, the reason I am, a progressive is because I see in the Bible this kind of ethical stance, and I have my friends and family on the right who would say, "Well, the reason I have this ethical stance is because that's what the Bible says." And so I stand being somewhat confused about, "Okay, well, wait, which one is it?" Mm-hmm. Because you guys are like clearly opposed to one another, and yet you're saying you're deriving your ethic from the same book. So is it is it wise to even get our ethic from the Bible? Is the Bible a place for that? And if not, what does our faith have to do with our ethic?
0: Right. I mean, I think that's a great question and something that I think all Christians have to think about. I know I do. I really don't have like the final answer to that by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think it's difficult to say that we're getting our ethic from the Bible. And I had this discussion with with a friend of mine not too long ago, and he said, well, what about, you know, do not murder? I say, yeah, I don't think we should murder. I'm pretty sure I would think that even if it weren't in the Bible. And it's also in other ancient texts. I mean, everyone's sort of – you're not supposed to kill people. And why do people think that? Well, all sorts of reasons why human beings would have come to the point where, you know, for for, for the social good, for example, or – uh, for fear of retribution, You're, you just – you don't kill each other. You need each other to survive against the bad guys over there.
1: Yeah, We're and built so, to be social and so right. there's sort of this biological maybe component to that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah,
0: and and it's probably more complicated than, you know, God said this. Oh, I mean, you know, the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, you should not kill. Really? I had no idea. I thought <laughs> yeah, <you> know, <laughs> the idea
1: that everyone was killing each other before right. Moses came down from the mountain. And right. they just like stopped the spears in hand, like, oh, they dropped their spears or adultery was
0: okay. Yeah. Or um right. it's, it's in other words, these laws aren't like revealed for the first time and no one's ever heard of them. That's not even in like the biblical ideology, is that true? It says these laws summarize something of the importance of the social dynamic if you're gonna be a people of God who were in Canaan and then trying to build a monarchy. Um, but, you know, it's it's not like we get our ethics from that. We might support an ethical stand from that, and sometimes it's more legitimate than other times, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, honor your mother and father. You I mean I, I want to be able to say, well, listen, this is a biblical ideal that we should aspire to. The problem is it doesn't tell you how to do that, mm-hmm. right? So you still have to think in your context, and it's much more profound than simply – citing a passage but when you do things like you know um, you know be be, uh, be careful to to uh support the alien in your midst for example you know um which is a very old testimony sort of in the land israelite kind of thing and to to sort of bring that into the world of immigration or refugees today um we are living in such a completely different political climate, right? Again, I support helping refugees. I think we should do everything mm-hmm. we can to help people yeah, it's not, to be not kind to them. We're not talking
1: about the conclusions and what we feel like we should do. It's more of right. how, how we are we dragging there. the Bible right. into that? Right. And is that legitimate? How does that work?
0: And again, people might say, I feel that the, the ethical, um, let's say – overarching ethical thing in the Bible that is supposed to produce something in me will lead me to have compassion towards other people. That's a different kind of argument for me than saying, look at this story. Therefore, government, Mm -hmm. how dare you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, not do this because, you know, that's actually buying into the same kind of idea of a Christian America. Only sort of on the left. Then on, Again, folks, forgive me for talking left and right, but it's just easy. You know what I mean. You know, right, I think right. life's much more complicated than left and right. But we live in a polarized context. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever.
1: We got our bushes in...
0: That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different.
1: There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzouk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret if you're a listener of the podcast how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People.
0: It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu. Or email admissions at UPSEM.edu. So you know the left and the right, they sort of are giving into the same idea that somehow a version of Christianity should determine what we as a country do. It might determine what your church does and what you do, and then you be the ethical influence in the world around you. That's fine. We're not saying there's no morality in the Bible. There is morality. There's some immorality. There's some things the Bible says to do that we're not going to do.
1: Well, and I think right? that's, the, that's for me the challenge, right. is if it was all – if we did have an ethical handbook in the Bible, that would be one thing. If yeah. it said in the preamble – this is all the things you should do, and Mm -hmm. here's a list of all the rules, and this is how we do it, and here's some case studies. We know we can't capture everything, but here's – but the Bible isn't that way. You have some pretty negative examples, too, and Mm -hmm. some that the Bible doesn't even declare as negative examples that you have to kind of figure out on your own, like, oh, I don't think that we should do that. And that's where the rub gets in, is because once you have that non-unified sense that everything in the Bible is something to imitate and emulate, now we have to bring some other standard – by which we're judging right, right. what to apply to our lives and what not. Right. And at that point, the source of our ethical framework isn't the Bible. Right. It's whatever standard we're using to adjudicate between, yeah, I do want to apply that verse. No, I don't want to apply that verse. Right. That wisdom standard or whatever it is we're getting from outside the Bible, that's really our standard. Right. And that's why I think we can come to these very different conclusions with the same book. Right. Is because we're bringing an ethical framework to the Bible, and lo and behold, yeah. we find whatever we need to find there to apply it. Trevor Burrus The Bible – I mean, this is the hard thing.
0: That, it might be a hard thing for some of our listeners to hear, and I totally respect this. But we have to discern the ethical content of the Bible more than we might be willing to admit sometimes. Trevor Burrus Which is a scary thing. It is a scary thing. and. You know, I mean if if you're the kind of Christian who believes in the Holy Spirit and you know the the continued presence of God in our lives, it's not as scary perhaps, right. but, but if it the does Bible require trust it requires that trust and and if the Bible um is though however the clear standard by which we live our lives, the Bible is really diverse and messy and sometimes Problematic. Yeah, you we're know. screwed. If yeah. That's the standard. I mean, I'm not going to bring my rebellious son in front of the elders, and if he doesn't repent because he's a drunkard, to stone him to death. Mm-hmm. Now, that's in Deuteronomy. And so, some people say, well, the Israelites didn't even think that. That was just part of the rhetoric of that law. And that's fine. That's a really interesting discussion, but it is in the Bible. And you know, Jared, you said something before about, you know, the Bible's not sort of an ethical manual, which is, I mean, I completely agree. The Bible as a whole— what makes it so tempting to use it, though, as an ethical manual is that there, there is that element in there, yeah, you there know? Yeah, there are
1: parts that read yeah. that
0: way. L- like the book of Deuteronomy is a good example. And, you know, laws, and you get towards the end of the book, like chapter 28, 29, um, there are lists of curses and blessings for obedience to God. And, you know, read it sometime, <laughs> you know, and, but it's there. And, and And that's the kind of... That's a rhetorical thing that we find in the Bible that can support its use like that today, and I understand that, Mm -hmm. but you have to also then grapple with the diversity of the Bible for not giving those ethical standards, but love toward the other is absolutely foundational and God loves everyone and God wants no one to perish and God's not vindictive and God's not about retribution. Plenty of places in the Bible to go for that, too. So it's almost like the Bible is set up not to be used the way –
1: We keep wanting to use it.
0: Yeah, and we Mm -hmm. keep seeing it being used. And I I just – I don't think this does anything helpful for how people perceive God in our Mm -hmm. culture, how people perceive the Christian faith, which in its best expressions is an amazing thing to behold, and we just see the real dirty sides, the polarized sides – and you know maybe this faith is not meant to be polarized in that way which is what happens when you sort of bring it into this political discussion and it's 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 sad to see i think it's it's a little frustrating sometimes and and trying to find ways to speak well into that you know and so like like how do you engage the bible then if it's if it's not a rule book what good is it if it's not telling us what to do what what possible good is there in a book like this? And my answer is, well, read it, and you'll find that it's got different points of view and different opinions, and it's even resisting. It doesn't recognize the premise of that question, which is, if it's from God, it's got to be telling us what to do pretty clearly.
1: Right, right. Just challenging that assumption from the beginning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I always think um, when you say that, it reminds me of um, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I think sometimes we're so eager to get to the content, what should I do, Mm -hmm. that we miss the frame of the Bible resists telling us what to do. And it encourages this wisdom of how do we do it? Like, whatever your ethical framework, you need to approach it with fear and trembling, meaning with a certain amount of humility Mm -hmm. and unknowing. And that 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 posture is just as important as whatever you put in the container. Whatever your "do not kill," "do not these," it's how do we how do we interact with other human beings with humility, with grace? That's just as important. And I think the Bible itself, I'm grateful in some ways that it doesn't. It, it's asking us to grow up and to realize the world doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. The world. When we feel I just think of the history of our our world, when we get so locked into a cause that we believe so strongly and there is no and I tie my identity to that, and there's no humility there, that is like how tyrants come about right, and so there's something to the humility mm-hmm. I think within the frame of how the Bible itself is built mm-hmm. that that diversity for me is a gift, right, yeah.
3: Hi, folks. My name is Lorraine Mercado, and I'm from Vineland, New Jersey, and I'm one of the many producers of the Bible for Normal People. This podcast is brought to you from supporters of the Patreon platform. You, too, can be a part of Patreon for as little as a dollar per month go to patreon.com forward slash the Bible for Normal People. You can also review the podcast on iTunes and be sure to like or subscribe. One of my favorite perks about being a Patreon supporter are the weekly Ask Pete video requests. I also love the Bible for Normal People podcast in which various scholars of all doctrines and creeds break down the diverse practices of the Christian faith in a supportive, non-judgmental environment. I learn something new every time I listen. Before I go, I want to thank our producers group, Michelle Oney Snyder, John C. Bruss, Shawn Michael Phillips, Brit Miracle, Dorsey Marshall, Scott Goldman, Esther Goetz, and Trevor Byrick. They do a great job helping the Bible for Normal People be the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. <laughs> Enjoy.
0: And he mentioned fear and trembling, and that made me think um, of our episode with uh, Pete Weiner, right? And he, he had a couple of things to say about that. And I think it's it's true that fear, actually, in the negative sense, plays a big role in this because it's worth asking what animates the polarization, left and right. What animates it? Mm-hmm. What are people afraid of losing or not having? That's where the discussion has to be, not parrying sort of back and forth Mm -hmm. with Bible verses, assuming that it's a book of ethics that tells us what to do in the situation and that it's necessarily relevant for making political decisions in this time and place. Those Mm -hmm. those are two big assumptions that we make, and I think the Bible sort of – doesn't support those assumptions, but but getting to the emotional component of it, I think is is central. You know, when I react against things, I've learned in my life to ask myself, "You're afraid of something right now. Like you're something's making you very uneasy. You're not you're not mad because you disagree with somebody. You're mad because
1: it's poking s- at some insecurity or fear,
0: insecurity or fear." Um, maybe even like if you're right and your side wins, then my whole vision for what life is about starts falling apart little by little, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, my 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 personal safety, you know, my economic safety. Yeah, finance. Um, I think all money. All things. Wait, yeah. I think that's
1: a little bit the elephant in the room because I think a lot of what we want our government to do is help us secure financial security. Mm -hmm. And I think we should just talk about that because the Bible does talk about money and and those are like, those do motivate in some ways our decisions about politicians and we, we live in a country where our economy and our politics are inextricably tied. Right. So I think that's important too.
0: Yeah. And you know, not, I, I don't mean to sound pandering here, but another issue is, you know, with refugees, for example, they tend to have skin that's darker than a lot of Americans right mm-hmm. and myself and you included so that fear um, of the other the fear of the other that looks different than you do and you know if people in Mexico were white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, would we be wanting to build a wall there? You know, we're not building one for Canada. Maybe we should, though. I'm a little... tired. The Canadians (laughs) are a little
1: suspicious. (laughs) They're
0: a problem. All this hockey, hockey, hockey. That's true. I really don't like hockey, so... And it's cold. (laughs) And it's just... And they have beavers. It's just this, you know. What am I going to? You know. But you know, you know what I mean. It's just I, I don't. It's a
1: random reference. You know. Got to pick are, on the beavers. There are a lot of beavers Jeez. up in Canada, so
0: I hear. <laughs> Dave Barry says that anyway. Mm. But, um, but you know, it, it's it's again, white supremacy is something that is very quickly knocked down by people like sort of as a pandering comment. You know, it is true. It took me a while to figure it out, but it's true. And, and I realize how, you know, I benefit from some of the political ideologies that I'm sort of against viscerally, but I know I benefit from that. And I'm not – I've never been in a sort of beleaguered minority. Neither have evangelicals, by the way, right? But, you know, I've never been in that beleaguered minority. So – so i don't i don't feel what these people feel who are trying to find safety and and it's easy to ignore them when they look different and and you have formed an opinion on them already by how they dress and what they look like and and i think that's important if 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 there were a lot of white people on some of these boats coming over i mean northern european white people i i, I wonder if the same Mm-hmm. reactions would be there. I, actually, I I genuinely, I could be completely off base on this, folks, but I genuinely wonder what the reaction would be, and it might not be the same.
1: Well, and, and I think that draws us to another, you know, we asked the question at the beginning, this episode is about how to read the Bible in 2020, and we talked about politics, but I think one thing that you said um, is worth talking about, and that's this idea, there's this reality where the Bible is presented, or Christianity is presented as though we're the minority in our country Mm -hmm. that the bible has been marginalized christianity is marginalized that the political elites that there's this this force i guess there's a force in america the dominant force is to eradicate christianity from our culture and yet you talked about like we're not the minority Mm -hmm. both being the color of skin but also As Christians. I mean, it was 84% of Americans would identify as believing in God. We still have a majority of people who would self-identify as Christians. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious where that comes from. And does that impact how we read the Bible in 2020 if we see ourselves not as the minority, the persecuted minority, but what if we see ourselves as what if when we read the Bible we don't think of ourselves as the persecuted minority the persecuted in those stories ones, yeah. but as the majority persecutors the religious ones that actually the has a
0: responsibility to not do that right. yeah uh, I mean the thing is that the whole narrative is though shaped around being a marginalized persecuted minority and um, that's yeah that's that's a hard pill to swallow too and see here's the thing too you know, we got to fight for this because our faith is at stake and this is America and, you know, our freedoms and the church and they're destroying the gospel. And I'm like, okay, well, let them destroy it. Is that going to affect you and how you believe? Or is the gospel something that supports other things that you like about American life? And that's the dangerous thing about this very subtle mixture combining of a political ideology, which is also an economic ideology, a racial ideology, a gendered ideology—all these things—and marrying that with the infinite creator of the infinite cosmos. This—I just have a real problem with that. And I've—and I, I can't—I have—I didn't have a problem with this thirty years ago. I wasn't thinking about it, but I've been thinking about it the past few years. And I—that I, is—that's wrong. So, so okay. What's the worst that can happen if you have a liberal in the White House or something like that, or on a, a, the other side, a real right-wing sort of fascist Christian in the White House, and they give Christianity a bad name. Okay, that's a shame. Does that affect me and how I choose to live, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that might pass laws that some of us don't like or are very much against, but is our ultimate trust in a political structure or is it in God? And I know that sounds really Sunday schooly, but I think it's it's a really important thing to be asking ourselves. And and the, the fear of what will happen if the wrong person's in the White House, left or right, is exactly the problem. It's the deep theological and spiritual problem that isn't really talked about nearly enough when these sorts of things come up.
1: Mm. So, uh, you're thinking y- the way you just went on about the practical nature of that. I'm still stuck on some of the logical inconsistency. So, mm-hmm. excuse me for being in my head for a minute. but
0: mm-hmm. Mr. Philosopher. Th- the
1: over narrative here, here, too, of we have an all-powerful God, but we're deeply afraid of what happens if we don't X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. Like, okay, well, if God is all-powerful... What, 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 why do I have to fight? Mm-hmm. What, what's, why do I need to go, like, as a kid, I, my tradition, I, I knocked on doors, and, like, I knocked on doors for the, for the uh, ma- moral majority, and talking about how important it was that we voted for um, the right. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was a sense of urgency, and it was so important, because what happens if? yeah? And it was at, at the same time I was being, saying, like, well, God's in control, and whatever God wants, God's gonna, it's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. God's all-powerful. I I still have no idea of how those are supposed to work together. I don't understand. So when we're winning, God's will is always done. When we're losing, it's really, really important and urgent that we do something. Right, exactly, yeah. I don't understand how that's supposed to work.
0: Yeah, that is very uh, – it's accepting rather unconsciously the notion that politics and the american system is the arena within which god works so okay what would happen if the wrong people take over and christians are part of a persecuted minority welcome to christian history <laughs>
1: for the most part <laughs> right yeah.
0: well, mm-hmm. welcome welcome to i mean i believe me i don't i want to live in my house okay i mean i want to drive my truck old as it is and I want to go grocery shopping and I want to go to the doctor when I need to I I don't want to be run over by Isis or something don't 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 misunderstand me here but you know what's what's the worst that can happen is that we are suffering because of what we believe and the people in power don't believe that that's the worst that can happen that's a Jesus says something about that promising, right? <laughs> that it won't go well. In fact, if it goes too well, maybe there's something wrong here, right? Mm. And and the history of Christianity, I mean, people will tell you this and know a lot about it. Um it's never gotten along well with political power. It's just it it just never works cuz the the gospel is too easily corruptible and manipulated for the wrong ends. So, okay, okay, so the wrong people take over and you're persecuted or mm-hmm. you suffer or you're not comfortable anymore or you have to live with people who disagree strongly with you about certain kinds of things. That can happen in reality, but that doesn't change whether God is real and whether your faith is real.
1: But I think that's that's independent from what we might say apart from our the, – the, the Bible and how we read it. Like – I would say we would be all in favor of, like you said earlier, in support of policies that would be more open to refugees and making sure that we're supporting that. We're more open to uh, women's rights and a lot of other things. That's a political stance that I would have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think this is important because I think it's hard for people to separate those is, things. Like yeah. I could imagine someone listening to you and saying, oh, Pete's against – us voting from our faith-based values Mm -hmm. out of that sense of a faith-based value. It's like, well, if that's what motivates you, that's good. But let's not – there's something different about, like, my ethic is formed certainly by my faith Mm -hmm. because that's a context in which I was raised. Mm -hmm. Like, that is the language I will use Mm -hmm. for how my values are shaped. Mm -hmm. But I think that's different than saying, and if you believe in Jesus, we should all be (sighs) – I don't know, I'm getting stuck in my words here, because mm-hmm. I think there's just something about what you said, I thought, oh man, people may take that the wrong way." And, yeah. and I want to just reemphasize our personal political stances are one thing, and I think it's important. Yeah.
0: And people can think what they want to think about what should happen. Right. Right. But I
1: think that's different than this uh, where we're co-opting the Bible. For these political purposes, and and, and merging well, God and the Bible with particular ideologies,
0: and and the and even to go further, not just with particular ideologies, but with power, with political power. So you bring God and political power together. I mean, this has been a problem again throughout most of history. You know, uh, Benedict Spinoza, the uh, what seventeenth century 17th philosopher, century, yeah, guy. he he really was interested in sort of separating church and state, or even then because. The people are sort of just enslaved by the state because it has the power of the church. So what he did was he undermined the Bible and the power of the church to sort of loosen people from that grip, from that unholy alliance. And yeah, I'm not recommending we go out and do that necessarily. He was a smart guy, but mm-hmm. but still, it, it shows that the, that's the problem: the power over people, and people are usually. Oppressed. Yeah, Walter Brueggemann, right? I mean, he he writes about this and how um, the Israelites in the book of First Samuel, they want a king like other nations have and they approach Samuel, who was like the last prophet. Um, uh, and uh, no, sorry, he's the last judge, not the last prophet. Uh, and they approach him and he's unhappy about this because, you know, he doesn't like the implications of having a king. And so he complains to God, and God says, don't worry, uh, they're not uh, rebelling against you, they're rebelling against me. Tell them what's going to happen when they have a king. And basically, the next whole chapter is about the kings are going to enslave your people. That's the bottom line. They'll force them to do things like serve in the army, be bakers, you know, be perfumers, all sorts of things, because that's actually what you have to do to have... An administration. You have to have people who will feed the army, for example, and people might not want to do that. It doesn't matter. So, with with that kind of monarchic authority comes a natural oppression of people. And so, in essence, the Israelites become the Egyptians that held them enslaved. And the end of chapter 8 of 1 Samuel is a beautiful little echo of the book of Exodus says, and when your people cry out to me, I will not hear them. Well, Exodus chapter 2 ends with, and I, I've heard the cry of my people, I will go, I will deliver them from Egypt. It's like, it's a reversal of that. Mm. If you want a text to go to, to talk about American political life, there it is, right? The implications of having this unholy alliance between God and kingdom. And that's different. See, that's different than, I I want to vote against this person because this person is in favor of abortion. My convictions say abortion's wrong. I'm going to vote against them. Okay, that's that. You want to do that? That's fine. That's a different level. Like you're saying, dear God, if this person doesn't get into the White House, everything is lost. We're all ruined. Let's 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 make sure this person gets elected. Let's go to the Bible and ignore everything about what this person does or doesn't do, and let's find these verses that 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 justify. This holy war, almost that and that's we're engaging a different in.
1: Posture that's a different uh, po- that's a different register. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not necessarily even the content. Like what you said, of you may vote the same way, but that latter mm-hmm. uh, demonstration that you just gave is a very different sense it's because fear it's out based. of fear. Yeah, it's right. fear based. It's out of fear. Yeah, um, we shouldn't fear.
0: Good. Well, easier you know, said than done. But still.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm sitting over here. I was I wasn't paying attention for the most part because I was just thinking. <laughs> That should be our nickname is the Unholy Alliance. Yeah. I I just think if we're ever in the WWE or something, we would be the Unholy Alliance. I like that. But, you know, I want to turn to some positive things, right? So, we talked a lot about, this is about how to read the Bible in 2020. So, how to read the Bible in 2020… What's what's the positive? How do we do it then? It's not we, We've talked a lot about what it's not and how not to read our political ideologies yeah. into it. But what are some things that we can move forward with to say, if you want to read your Bible, don't feel paralyzed. Right. Here are some things that you can do. And, and, and one thing for me, because a lot of people might be tracking and just say, well, why read the Bible at all? Like, mm-hmm. if our ethics don't come from the Bible, why read it at all? Mm-hmm. And, and I would just say for me... Is I, it's I can't avoid using this phrase, which is a language game, mm. and that is meaningful to me. Like mm-hmm. it is my tradition, and it is the language I use, and we know that language is important. Mm-hmm. It's the language that shapes how I see the world, mm-hmm. and so I want to continue using that language, and I want to be in a community of faith that is shaped by that language, mm-hmm. and that's that is valuable for me. Mm-hmm. And so, but I'm just always critiquing it and recognizing that. Uh, this is the language of my community of faith of which I am both a member and accountable to while also being an individual and hold it accountable right and that 's that tension mm-hmm. that for me the Bible continues to play a big part of
0: yeah and i I think that's great and maybe another point that I would make is that you know how do you read the Bible responsibly I think it's it's necessary to actually admit that you do pick and choose. I mean, yeah. you should never pick and choose. Are you kidding me? Yeah, we, have do, no we, we do pick and choose, and you know to to lean
1: towards. <laughs> it's to pick responsibly and respectfully.
0: That's right, and and something that's driven by a sense of of, of, of peace and, and, and wanting to create harmony, which means sometimes you have to be strongly against things. There's no question about that. It's not just, you know, group hugs for the next few thousand right. years. It's
1: not about being nice.
0: It's not about being nice. But I think, see, this is, I mean, I think of, if I can channel Richard Rohr here a little bit, I hope I get him right. But he, um, I heard him say once that the religion, using it in the negative sense, it always looks outward and says, what's wrong with them? I'm glad we're not like that. A spiritual development, a spiritual journey is always the turning the question back on yourself saying, I'm feeling a certain way. What am I learning about myself and my own inner state by this experience? And I think a way of engaging the Bible responsibly is to read it with that in mind, that this is not about, okay, here's how you take over the world. Here are the the passages. Here's the ethic that you are now to impose on other people. It's more, it's always bringing it back on yourself. Mm -hmm. That's not self-centered in a a psychologically dysfunctional sense. It's examining yourself, which is a very, very healthy thing to do. It's not beating yourself up. It is examining and being honest with yourself and saying, how can I change? So, when we're in heated political debates – to take that step back and ask yourself, what's happening inside of me here? What What is driving this, you know, staying up for four hours and answering people on the internet or something like that? You know, and that to me, engaging the Bible with our own inner transformation, our continued conversion, <laughs> our continued salvation in mind is a really good place to start.
1: Yeah, I would, the only thing I would add to that is, uh, you know, I think growing up, it was an all or nothing, so either the Bible is the sole and only source for spiritual formation and all of these things, or it's nothing right and I think in twenty twenty just an encouragement of engaging the Bible as one of many important voices mm-hmm. because there's a lot like you just said, like getting like <clears throat> psychology and reading about psychology and sociology and learning about yourself and how the world works mm-hmm. and ethics and, you know, read some ethicists and read some political writers and some activists and people who write from a perspective that's not like you yeah. and read that in concert with the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that, that becomes this mutually edifying ex- exercise mm-hmm. where they're all critiquing, these voices are all critiquing each other, they're informing each other, and it's in that messy middle that we find that, that growth. And so, you know, if, if you're feeling the urge to say it's either or, I think for me it's been... A journey of saying, no, it's both and. It's okay mm-hmm. that my Bible's sitting next to this book and that book and that book and that right. book. And I go to the Bible sometimes and I go to these books and they inform each other.
0: Right. I, I mean, just maybe one last thing. I think we're coming to the end of our time here, aren't we? Jay? We are, yeah. I needed to say that because you always say that. I wanted to say it. So, But one thing that sort of wraps it up for me a little bit is, you know, very briefly a story that I've heard from many different places, but it has to do with the experience of slavery in the nineteenth century, and you had Christians arguing very differently, and you had, let's say, the rule book Christians who looked for verses to support what they wanted—basically, the, the South, the slaveholders—and they they could cite verses that clearly imply, I shouldn't say clearly imply. No, they they they. It's easy to make the argument that God doesn't really have a major problem with slavery,
3: mm-hmm.
0: either testament, right? But the you know, pro-abolitionists the abolitionists, yeah. in the North, I mean, they were – they're saying, yeah, you got these verses, but we think the Bible is on a trajectory and we think there's – there, in other words, there are trajectory readings and rule book readings. And again, that's something that might be a really new idea for people and I mm-hmm. totally, you know, do what you want with it. But like – How is the Bible showing us that maybe God is out ahead of us and the Bible is pointing us somewhere instead of just drawing attention to verses that we lift up off the pages to justify a view that we have? Maybe what God has in store is like what nothing, any of us really can even understand or fathom, and the Bible is impelling and, and, and as part of – it's not the Bible, it's God doing this, but it's the Bible is, is that aid in bringing us outside of our own ways of looking at the world and saying, what's the next thing that's happening? That's, that's not a Bible verse proof text way of reading the Bible. And that's what people said over 100 years ago. They were right. Mm -hmm. right the others were wrong proof texting for sleep that's wrong and to us i think in the american experience that can be a real object lesson for what does it mean to engage the bible well and maybe even especially in 2020
1: yeah good well i think that's a a great wrap for our first joint episode so we are looking forward to uh lots more here in season four
0: yeah absolutely thanks for listening you know we're
1: just going to keep asking this question yeah. What is the Bible, and what do we do with it? We haven't answered it yet. Four four seasons in, we haven't answered it yet. So when if you, you, if you have an answer, it would be funny if the next episode we just say, "Hey, Jake called in from Iowa City, and he answered, and it. and he got it, and we're done." Yeah, that's the end of the episode. At least we should aim to have
0: this <laughs> done by summertime. I think we should know the answer. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah, that yeah we'll set
1: a deadline. We haven't had a goal. Right. Once we set a goal, we can maybe <laughs> reach it. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next right. time.
0: See ya. Hey folks, thanks again for listening to another episode of the podcast We want to thank the people who make everything we do possible Such as Megan Kamek, our podcast producer
1: Yep, and Shea Box, who is our creative director And Dave Gerhardt, our audio engineer And Reed Lively, our community champion Thank you so much, we couldn't do this podcast without them So we always want to give them a shout out
0: What else is going on, Jared? February
1: 27th at 8.30pm For those of you who support us on Patreon We're having an Ask Me Anything, in an AMA and uh around this idea of the bible what do we do with it bible engagement and any questions that you have about the bible we just get on there we love to chat with you so put that in your calendar if you aren't already a patreon supporter go ahead and sign up i uh, hope to see you there